We are concluding this series on one another. And, and let me just, before I really get into the message, I felt like there was some preliminary stuff that I want to talk about because the one another's and scriptures are really about developing a healthy community a healthy church community. And if you've been in church for a while, you know there are healthy churches. You know there are unhealthy churches. And let me just say, they come in all shapes and sizes. Uh, there are some churches that are literally on life support right now, like trying to make it week to week. There are some churches that are simply a large gathering of people. They don't really have the relationships that, that you're supposed to have. And our desire is that we want to be a healthy church. Amen? That's our goal. A healthy church, can I say this, has nothing to do with size. Amen? Let me, uh, let me just give you this. Large doesn't equal healthy any more than small equals unhealthy. Right? Sometimes we see something. Oh, man, look how big that is. Oh, oh, look how small that is. They must, everything must be going wrong. Uh, I want to tell you that, and you can do the research if you want, but you don't have to, but in 2014, there was a large church based in the Seattle area had nine campuses, had over 10,000 people meeting every week. How many of you would think if, at that thought, that's a large, that's a healthy church? You would think that, but it was actually had some very unhealthy things that were going on. And once it all got exposed, this church went from 10,000 people, nine campuses, uh, to literally closing down and no longer existing in two months. So don't equate things, oh, oh, large, oh, small, whatever. Here's the thing that I do believe, in, and if you've heard us for a while, I do believe that all healthy things grow. And what does it mean to be growing? I believe it's not just a numerical thing. I believe it's a spiritual thing. We should be growing in our faith. How many of you know we don't need to be uh, 20, 30 years in the Lord and still uh, sucking on the bottle? Amen? Uh, they shouldn't have to part the whiskers to take out the bottle. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We need to be growing in Christ, and I believe that as we grow mature in the Lord, that uh, naturally uh, there will be a, a numerical growth, but again, we don't measure health off of numbers. We measure health off of how are you doing in Christ? How are you doing in your life? So here's the thing. The only way to really fulfill and be a healthy church is applying these one another's that we're talking about. And, uh, and, and honestly, can I tell you, this cannot only happen on a Sunday morning. It's, it's really a challenge to do that on a Sunday morning only. Let me give you uh, the, the early church's modus operandi, the way they actually operated. Uh, and it's in Acts. It says all the believers... Uh, and I'm just going to point out, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. How many of you know a lot of times in church today, that's what we're devoted to? Oh, what's the pastor teaching on? Oh, and, and that's kind of the, the, the main thing and the main for, uh, focus. But notice it doesn't just say to the apostles' teaching. It says, and to fellowship. So they were devoted also to fellowship. And I'm going to talk about that word in a second. But then, and, look, notice there's another and here. And to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So there's four things that they're devoted to, right? The apostles' teaching, the uh, fellowship, the sharing of meals. How many of you enjoy sharing meals? Especially if you know someone that cooks well. And to prayer. So all of these things are important. And then look what he goes on to say. And a deep sense of awe came over all of them. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together where? 
in one place. So that's kind of what we're doing here this morning. We're meeting in one place, even though we've got a number of people that join us online, you're kind of here, even though you're not here. Am I right? So if you are and you're watching online, let us know. Uh, And then they shared everything they had. They sold their property, possessions, shared the money with one another, uh, with those in need. And then it says, they worshiped together in the temple. Again, that's focusing on the large gathering that we, we, the church is supposed to do each day. How many of you glad we don't have church every single day? You'd be like, I got other things to do, right? But that's how they did it. But then it says they met in homes. Uh, they had the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy, generosity, all the while while praising God and enjoying the good, the fellowship with those who were praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. So that word uh, fellowship that he said that they were devoted to is koinonia, and it means fellowship. It means a close mutual association. How many of you know that's important? That's important in the church uh, that I should have. I shouldn't just say, oh yeah, I've seen you. I think you go to my church, right? I think I've seen you somewhere in the congregation. Really to have a healthy uh, uh, church is that we have, now how many of you know you can't know everybody? right? Unless you're a church of like 20 people, you might, oh, I know you, but I don't really know you. But we should have some close relationships with some of the people in the church. They were devoted to that. They didn't want to just be acquaintances. They didn't want to be like Facebook friends. Some of you know, Facebook friends are not really friends. They're like people that you get to spread your propaganda to, and then they get to spread theirs to you, right? So uh, whatever it is, uh, it's not close mutual association. And the ministry style of the New Testament church, it happened this way that we're talking about for 300 years. While the church didn't have any buildings, really didn't have an ordained ministry to say, didn't have a lot of stuff that we have now, uh, but they began to flourish and uh, Check this out. This is the early church. At about 100 A.D., they estimated there were about 25,000 believers, which is amazing, you know, in in less than 100 years, this new religion, basically, this branch of Judaism grew. But by 310 A.D., just before Constantine established uh, uh, Christianity as the nation's religion, 20 million. Can you imagine in 200 years, this church... The the new beginning without any resources, without any buildings, without any of that stuff grew that large. That's amazing. That's That's a wonderful thing that happened. I think, let me go back to the scripture before. I didn't want to finish it. Because of that, because of this relationship, it says that the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved all the time. The church was just growing because they were meeting together, they were hearing, they were devoted to the teaching, they were devoted to each other, and and it was an amazing community. Listen, that is uh, the desire of our church, and and I think many churches, I'm not just saying, oh, just us, Uh, but when I began this series, I shared this. This was a a, a desire. We may not be the largest church, we may not have a lot of the bells and whistles, but here's our goal. If we're going to be great at anything, let's be great at the great commandment. Can we excel at that? What is the great commandment? Jesus said this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. We want to develop our, our vertical relationship with God. But then at the same time, he said, uh, part of the great commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you know that's not just a word, that is a, 
uh, something we have to work on. Actually, we have to work on both of them. It's not easy to surrender everything and really love God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind. That's a whole other teaching right there, right? But then how many of you realize it's like so much easier? Sometimes people are like, I just want between me and God, just a relationship. I don't need anybody else. Well, then you don't have a cross. You've got a stick. <laughs> Sorry, that just came to my mind. There is something important that, that God wants us to learn with having relationship one with the other. And this is really reflective in our vision statement as a church. Uh, our vision statement is to bring people that are far from God, close to God, as we well, look what we do. We love Jesus, that's our vertical, and others faithfully. That's really so simplistic. Every church kind of has a, a different way of saying, but it's the same thing. That's what we're to focus on. That's what we're supposed to do. So having that understanding in mind of being that kind of a church, I want to look at the verse that we're going to focus on today out of Romans chapter uh, 12, verses 10 through 16. It says, Love each other with genuine affection never uh, and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard, serve the Lord enthusiastically, rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, keep on praying, and when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. And, uh, and be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those that weep and live in harmony with each other. Now, there are more one another's really in this chapter, kind of condensed than any other place. So we're just going to unpack a few of them here today. I don't have time. Like I said, I could go on for many weeks about the different one another's. But we want to start with this one. So Paul starts out and he says, love each other with genuine affection. That's, a, that's one of the one another's. And this, this Greek word for love here really is talking about a, re, a close relationship, like, like a brother or sister or a parent and a child, that kind of a close. Have that kind of love for each other. Now, okay, I don't know if this, I might get in trouble here. I was going to say, how many of you guys love your family? Uh, <laughs> you know, you'll get some hands up, some people like, eh, right, like, I don't know. But uh, assuming you were in, raised in a healthy family, you really love your family, am I right? And uh, uh, that's the kind of love that we're supposed to have for one another. How many of you know that's a little foreign to us? Like, oh, I like you, uh, I like it when you make this meal, uh, but like, do I truly have this kind of love for one another? And, and it's this idea, like I said, of an extended family. We are extended family. Look what he says back in uh, verse 1 of chapter 12. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now, let me just say, when we read this verse, most of the time we focus on this, like view of God's mercy, or maybe offer your bodies as living sacrifice, and we kind of pass over this aspect right here about brothers and sisters. How many of you know we are really brothers and sisters in Christ? Right? That, that is a reality that, that we don't always... Uh, think about, and listen, I shared, you know, I'm from Texas. I, I, one, of the, one of the church churches I went to, uh, they like to call each other brother so-and-so. There's brother Delton back there in the back, you know, or, 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 or sister Sandy over here, right, holding Lincoln. Uh, how, anybody grow up in a church like that? 
where you called people that. We don't really do that so much because some people find it a little weird, right? Like, oh, brother, sister, come on, what kind of a cult are you in? You know, that's just weird. Uh, but really, it's biblical. If we understand it, and that's really my first point, is that God has given us a second family. It's a spiritual family. We really, and listen, can I just say this about your spiritual family? It's probably just as dysfunctional as your biological family. (laughs) Amen? Sometimes we think, oh, you know what? My spiritual family ought to be perfect. Well, are you perfect? Uh, No. So guess what? Your spiritual family has got dysfunction just like anything else. But let me just say, I am grateful that God has given us two families. I'm thankful for my biological family. I'm thankful that I was able to go back and see my mom and dad. I'm thankful that my sister and I, that we, we communicate still. And she's probably, I think she's on right now. So uh, uh, I'm thankful for my biological family. But can I tell you, I'm thankful for my spiritual family. I'm thankful for my brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and I think most of you know, maybe not everybody, but for a couple of years uh, when we first came to this church, our daughter was in uh, Czech Republic as a missionary. How many of you know that's thousands of miles away? And guess what? She was still our daughter, even though she was that many miles away. How many of you know our brothers and sisters that are in the Ukraine, that are in Russia, that are in South America, uh, just because they're so far away doesn't make them any less our brothers and sisters? Even if they go to another denominational church, how many of you know you're still in the same family? God doesn't look at denominational signs and say, well, you're this family, you're this family, you're this family. No, we're all the family of God. We all have one father. We've been baptized into one body by his spirit. We have that, that family. And listen, that's kind of what this series has been about. This is one of the reasons over this last few weeks you've heard us putting an emphasis on small groups because that's really where we develop those relationships. I'm just going to say that, you know, we do a a Friday men's Bible study. I know not everybody can make it, but can I tell you, I have a closer relationship with the men that are in that group because we meet every single week, right? We're there. We're getting to know when somebody's going through something, when they're going through a struggle, when they're going through uh, maybe having something to rejoice about, that's how we get to know each other. Right? That's how I've gotten to know Bill so much better and John and, and Bob and, you know, some people, I, I messed with uh, Bob Campbell in first service. I said, if it wasn't for that men's Bible study, I wouldn't know him because he never talks out loud very much. But in that Bible study, uh, we get to know his heart and, and, and just the, his love for God. And so here's the thing. We have to, ha- we have to do that on purpose. And I know there was a time in America where people got together a whole lot more than they do right now. Am I right? Now we like, you know, we close the door, we make sure it's locked, and uh, uh, we have a Zoom camera. How many of you guys got a Zoom camera on your door? I got a Zoom camera on my door, and it's like somebody, my alarm goes off. I'm like, who's at my door? What do they think they're doing at my house, you know? What are they dropping off? What are they up to, right? How many of you know, we are suspicious, We are hands off of people. We have gotten to become a society where we live in isolation and we don't know how to depend on other people. We see that as a weakness. What? You're dependent? No, I do it all myself. I don't need nobody. Let me tell you, that's that's a scary place to be. That's a scary place to be. 
Because, and I believe that when we get there, listen, that's why you need a place like Freedom Church. That's why you need other people. That's why uh, churches that do small group, they do it on purpose. It's because we don't really want to do that. Oh, it's another day, another time to meet. Isn't, isn't it good just getting my Sunday in? Let me tell you, coming to church on a Sunday does not save you. You'll get to kind of know a few people, but the way you really get to know people is when you start investing in each other's lives. We need that. And I just want to say this. You can't go to church because guess what? You are the church. This is a building that we meet. How many of you know this building is not the church? You know, if we're gone and uh, we sell this building to somebody else, it may be something else, right? It's just a building, but this is where the church gathers. But it's not just there. Uh, you know what? The church gathered at Bill and Beth's house uh, on, on Friday night, right? And at David and Christina's house on a Sunday night. So wherever we come together, it may gather, uh, you, maybe you invite somebody out to Denny's. And you're like, hey, listen, there's three or four of us right here. Guess what? The church is right there at Denny's. And you don't even have to pay the utility bill. That's an amazing thing right there. So uh, we are this extended family of God. And I think at a very fundamental level, we need to come to terms and grips with the fact that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We really are. Don't let it just be a word, but let it be something that we really grasp hold of. It says, love each other with genuine affection. And then he says, take delight in honoring each other. The NIV says to honor one another above yourself. We believe this at, at Freedom Church, that everybody is invaluable and everyone is irreplaceable. Can I say that about each one of you here? Those that may be watching on camera, uh, those that aren't here, everybody is valuable and everybody is irreplaceable. And let me, let me explain. Let me talk about uh, being irreplaceable. Because a lot of times people, oh, well, I can't be there, but you know what? It doesn't really matter. You know what? There's nobody that you can tag out and say, hey, listen, can you go in my place? No. Why are you irreplaceable? And, and, and basically, it's the fact that you are uniquely made by God. Can I say that when we worship, nobody worships God like you do. Nobody uh, uh, loves God the way you do. There is something that's so unique about who you are that, that God created you that way. And, and I think that God loves that. All of us are different. Even identical twins, how many of you know, are different? Right? They're not exactly the same. And, and let me just say this, that, that, that he loves all of us all the same. But at the same time, he loves all of us uniquely. And what do I mean by that? I mean, as a parent of three adult kids, can I say that I love all of them to the fullest extent that I can, but at the same time, I don't love them all the same. It doesn't mean that I it doesn't mean like, oh, I love this one more than this one, or I love this one more than this. No, I love them differently because they are all different. They're all unique. And can I just say, because got two of them right here, they all love me differently. They express their love differently to me. And, and, and if you think about that, that's the same thing with God. God loves the uniqueness of each and every one of us, and he loves the way each one of us worship him. Like, like I'm just going to mess with Barbara back there. Nobody worships God like Barbara, and God loves it. God loves it. Nobody like Margaret. I, she scared me this morning. I was sitting there, and, uh, and she had to praise the Lord, and it like, kind of shocked me. But I'm like, you know what? I know that God said, I love that. I love that because nobody worships God like you do. 
And he loves that. That's why you are irreplaceable. Nobody can take your place. And, 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 and that's just such a powerful thing. And let me just say, when we say things like God so loved the world, how many of you know that's such a big idea that, that we kind of lose the thought of it? But I think that God can handle 7 million people a lot more than I can three kids. He's not overwhelmed like, oh, man, there's so many of you. I don't know how I can. No, listen, friends, you are irreplaceable. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what your own self says. That's how important you are. Uh, uh, last week, I think Timothy said this, or maybe I did. I don't remember a couple weeks ago where, where people say, ah, I don't need church. I don't need church. Can I say, you don't have to have church in order to get to heaven. Am I right? You don't have to have that. But I want to tell you, I believe that, that, that we need each other. Uh, none of us were meant to fly solo. No, none of us were meant to do this thing on our own because there is going to come a time when you're going to need somebody else in your life. Amen. You're going to need someone else to lean on. You're going to need somebody to give you that word of courage. And, and, and even deeper than that is the fact that the church needs you, right? We, we look at it sometimes the, the wrong way. Sometimes we have this, this uh, consumer mentality when we look at church like, ah, what's in it for me? What do you got for me? What are you going to do for me? What kind of song and dance are you going to do? You better tell enough jokes or I'm out of here, right? You better, you better make sure that you have all of that. And that's such the wrong way to look at the church. It shouldn't be what's in it for me. It's like, hey, listen, what can I bring to the table? What do I have to offer? What, what, what gifting has God given? Because I want to tell you, everybody has got something. You may be saying, well, not me. No, everybody has got something. So listen, if you don't need the, if you feel like you don't need the church, uh, can I tell you that's a very selfish thing because the church needs you, needs each and every one of us. And listen, we don't know what this next year is going to hold for us. Last, uh, in January, we felt like God gave us this word of girding up and who knew what would be taking place into February. And we don't know what the rest, but I, I want to tell you, and we're going to share a little bit about this in our business meeting, and let me just put this little plug in right here. If you're a member, we really need you. Even if you're not a member and this is your church, this is where you fellowship, we invite you, uh, we want you to stay because we're going to talk about things that are coming, but uh, just kind of give you a little bit, one of the things that we're going to begin taking the steps to is to see what is the possibility of building on that 10 acres of land. Because there's been some significant things that have happened. First of all, we uh, finally closed escrow on this land behind the church this past Tuesday. So that thing is no longer ours, which is really great because this past week the sewer back there uh, went out and it's not on our property. All right? They had to take down part of their fence and it's like, not my, they came in, Randy was in there and it's like, or, you know, he's like, nope, not ours. That's somebody else's, thank you, Jesus. So, uh, but here's the thing. We're going to need everybody for what God wants to do. We'll talk more about that if you stay for the, the, the business meeting. I know that sounds boring, doesn't it? Business meeting. But let me tell you, when there's good news to share, that's not a bad thing. And we make it quick. Uh, no beating around the bush or whatever. But anyway, if you can, we want to encourage you to stay. Let me go back. That, so that's irreplaceable. Let me talk about being invaluable invaluable. I think that, that, that this means that you really can't calculate the price of a soul. What did Jesus say? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? I mean, if you kind of think about that, if you had scales up here and you had your life 
and then you had everything that this world has to offer, and you put that on a scale, guess which one weighs more? Your soul, right? And, and, and we value things uh, 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 all kinds of ways, especially in a free market society. How many of you know the value of something is not determined by what you think it's worth? It's determined by what? What somebody's willing to pay for it, right? A lot of them, oh, you know what? I think this is worth $50,000. And someone's like, I'll give you 10 bucks for it. No, no, but it's worth this. And it's like, uh, no. So it's really not. So, but here's the thing. Jesus determined our value, didn't he? When he went to the cross, he says, listen, you are worth the price of the blood of my son. You are worth it. And listen, when we understand that, that's why we really honor other people is because their value is not based on what they've done in their life, what they look like, who they are, how much money they got in their account. Your value is based on the blood of Christ. And if he says that you're valuable, how many of you know we are valuable? And listen, I read this. I don't remember even the amount. They said if you take all the chemicals and whatever in our body, the compounds, that we'd be worth like three bucks, right? I think probably with inflation today, we might be up to seven ninety nine. I don't know. Uh, but, but that's kind of sad uh, because that's not really what it is. We uh, are invaluable. And, and here's the thing that I want us to know, that you do not belong to God once. You belong to God twice. What do I mean by that? Let me tell you, the day that you were born, actually, I want to say the day you were conceived, uh, God, you, we owe God that life, right? We owe God the second life simply by his redemption. When he came to die for me, I owe him double, right? And, and here's the reality, I'll never be able to pay it back. God's not expecting that, but he wants our heart, right? We owe him that. Listen, when we come to Christ, that possessive pronoun of my or mine, how many of you know it goes out the window? Because nothing I have is mine anymore. It all belongs to him. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you. How? At a high price. You belong to Jesus, and that's why you have value. It's whose that you belong to. So let me give you a few examples, and I was having fun. I had to limit myself on this, but uh, I got a, a picture here of a pair of sneakers. How many of you know? Who knows what kind of shoes these are? Nike, I heard that, but specifically? Air Jordans, right? Uh, can I tell you that this specific pair of uh, sneakers sold for $560,000? Do you know why? Because you probably can't see it, but right here it's signed by Michael Jordan. And not only that, these are shoes that he wore. So the value was not in the shoe, it was in who they belonged to. Let me give you another one here. This is a Michael Jackson here wearing a velvet. I don't have any velvet jackets, just so you know, but he had a velvet jacket that he wore at Elizabeth Taylor's birthday party on February 16, 1997. Uh, Kim Kardashian bought this jacket for $65,000. Like, like, how many, anybody got anything even close to that in your closet? If you do, you better sell it, right? Uh, next one I thought was pretty cool, Darth Vader mask, right? Uh, this, is, uh, this helmet was worn by uh, actor David Prowse in Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. Anybody watch that? So uh, that was it. That sold to an anonymous bidder for $898,000. Whoa, I'd rather go down to Walmart and get a $20 one. <laughs> Am I right? Okay, I love this next one, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow you away. This is the General Lee from the Dukes of Hazard. 
right? This one was owned by uh, actor John Schneider. Uh, he sold it uh, on eBay for $9,900,500, right? That's like, seriously? I mean, that's a cool car, but really, you, you'd probably get somebody crash it because of the flag on it right now, but anyway. Uh, next one is uh, Judy Garland slippers from The Wizard of Oz. You know, tap them together. There's no place like home, right? Uh, those things were sold for $6 million. Uh, this next one kind of cracks me up. This is the tennis racket that Serena Williams broke when she lost in the 2018 U.S. Open Finals, smashed it to the ground, never going to be used as a tennis racket, sold for $20,000. Is that crazy? And then, okay, I got, this, is my, this is one of my favorite ones right here. All right. The fully restored version of James Bond's Aston Martin uh, appeared in the Goldfinger films, uh, sold for $6.4 million. I just want to say the Dukes of Hazard car sold for more than that. Why is that? I don't know. I would think I would rather have this one right here personally. Anyway, here's the whole point of me showing all of those, and I wanted you to get that in your head, is that the value goes up because of who it belongs to. And your value is immeasurable because of who you belong to. Jesus said you have been paid in full by the price of his son. So don't ever let the world, don't even let yourself say, I'm not worth anything. I'm not worth anything. No, you are valuable. You are invaluable. Jesus said, I paid the highest price for you, the blood of my son, and there's nobody that can outbid him. Right? Nobody is going to pay more. Listen, I think you can place value on people for a lot of different reasons. I said this a minute ago. You can, like, uh, what they do, uh, like I said, what their net worth is, what their position, their platform, uh, how they look, how good or bad. I just want to say, as a culture, we have a terrible value system. We value people for the wrong things. But Jesus comes along and says, you know what? Let me just set the price for everybody. Every one of you are invaluable. You're worth it all. And, and I think that it's only when we begin to truly understand that Jesus says that you are worth dying for that it begins to change how we treat other people. Yeah. Right? When you realize how valuable everybody is, no matter how messed up they may be or their life may be or whatever they've done to you. I mean, think about that. Somebody that has done you wrong, right? And you're singing that somebody has done me wrong song. And uh, that person, God st it says, is invaluable. That person is worth it. And I pray that this church would have a culture of honor, that we would give honor where honor is due, and, and sometimes give honor even if it's not due because of their action, but it's due because of who they are, because of whose they are. And, and I think that that is so important. Now, listen, we know the only one to be worshipped is Jesus, but I think we need a culture of honor in the church. Amen? If we truly honor one another, treat other, uh, one another that way, then I think what happens is that it frees us from trying to build up our own self-esteem, trying to be somebody that we're not. And I think that's one of the greatest freedoms in this world is not having to prove yourself to anybody. Right? I don't have to prove myself because Christ already did it. He already showed my value. I can't do anything that's going to get higher than that. Amen? 
So uh, you are invaluable. You are irreplaceable. Let's move on to the next one is uh, to bless others, right? Like I think sometimes we don't know what does that mean to bless others? Does that mean like when somebody sneezes and what do we say? Bless you, right? Or God bless you. Uh, can I give you a history of where that came about, if you don't already know it? Uh, that happened in the Middle Ages that they thought when somebody sneezed, a demon came out that way, and so they would say, God bless you. How many of you know that's a little ridiculous? We don't believe that. If you sneeze now, we only think, oh, they got COVID, right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They must have COVID, right? How dare you sneeze around me? Hey, let me tell you, blessing others has nothing to do uh, when you can still say God bless you or bless you when somebody's sneezing because now it's just kind of a courtesy thing. Uh, unless you really think there's a demon coming out, then you need to get back into God's word. Amen. So uh, here's the thing. The Greek word that means bless here is where we get our English word to eulogize. Like when somebody's funeral and you want to say all the good things that you never said about them uh, while they were alive, right? You say that. And I remember hearing this story of these two young guys and they said, you know what, if you could eavesdrop on your uh, funeral and you could hear the eulogy, he goes, what is it that you would like to hear? He said, I'd like to hear them say, hey, he's moving. (laughs) So think about that. I know that was a bad joke, but I wanted to put it in there. Uh, But really, eulogizing to bless somebody, I believe, is bragging behind their back. Talking about them in a good way. Listen, we know how to talk bad about people behind their back, amen? We don't need any teaching on that. But, you know, this last week when we were gone, I can't tell you from Thursday to today how many people came up and told me what a great job uh, Pastor Timothy did and Christina did, that it was a good, such a good service last week. And it was like, uh, that's what blessing is about. You go behind their back and you talk well. Now, listen, don't do it just there. Uh, but you can talk to them uh, good about them to their face as well, right? And and here's the thing, for what it's worth, this is a a, a present imperative verb, which means that we need to constantly be blessing. What an amazing culture if we just constantly blessed others. We spoke well about them. Instead of like, oh man, do you see what they were wearing? Do you see what sister so-and-so was wearing? Can you believe she'd wear that into this church? You know, we don't do that here. That's all those other churches, right? But uh, we need to learn to bless other people. We need to do that, right? And, and then, then it goes on. I'm just going to, uh, last one another I want to cover, it says to live in harmony. Live in harmony. You know, I wonder how the heart of our he- Heavenly Father must break when he sees his children fighting. I know, uh, and I think I've shared this story before, when our kids... Uh, we're growing up, and I know, you know, they weren't perfect. Were you guys perfect? No, not at all. Some people are like, your kids are so good, they're so perfect. Well, let me just say, behind the scenes, they, they fought like cats and dogs like anybody else. And, uh, and I'm just going to put them on the spot. What is the one thing your mother, Joshua, I'm going to ask you, what is the one thing your mother asked for every birthday and Mother's Day? Yes, she wanted peace. <laughs> She goes, I just want peace today. That means no arguing and no fighting. And uh, sometimes it actually happened. But let me just say, as much as you don't like seeing your kids arguing, fighting, can you imagine what God sees? And he says to live in harmony with one another. Uh, and let me just say, that doesn't mean that this, we all have to think the same way. We all have to do the exact same thing. Uh, God is not looking for, and, and I've shared this before, he's not looking for uniformity. He's looking for unity. 
There's a difference, right? And, and there's this thing, because I'm not a musician, you guys can be thankful that, that, that Timothy's up here singing and not me, because I do not sing very well. I do make a joyful noise to the Lord, to him. He likes my voice, and that's all that matters, right? How many of you can amen me on that, like with your voice, right? So, uh, uh, but here's the thing, and I've heard uh, Timothy, I've heard him talking about, we need you to harmonize, and for the life of me, I can't figure that out because I don't understand harmony, uh, uh, singing melody. Do you sing the melody or harmony? I sing, I sing all of it, right? <laughs> I sing melody, harmony, off key, on key. Sometimes I actually hit on key, right? So I don't understand harmony other than the idea is that I know that people are singing at like different octaves, different notes or something like that. And all together, it has a beautiful sound. And I think that's really what the church is. Everybody's got gifted different. Everybody has different personalities. Uh, but when we live in harmony with each other, how many of you know it's a beautiful sound? God is like, man, listen to that harmony. Listen to what is going on. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's what God is looking for. So let me go back real quick to Romans 12.1. Oh, look, I passed that up. And then I passed that up. So uh, there we go. Romans 12.1. Dear brothers and sisters, I do want to focus on this aspect right here in view of God's mercy. How many of you know mercy is not getting the punishment we deserve? God is merciful, isn't he? Aren't you glad? You, you know, I was thinking about this, and there's a song that we sing occasionally where, where one of the verses, I don't know what song it is, but it says, A thousand times I have failed, but your mercy remains. Anybody can identify with a thousand times I failed. And I was thinking about that, and I think really the key to really loving one another, uh, encouraging one another, honoring one another, being devoted to one another, all of that is about understanding God's mercy. Right? I can do it so much better. And I kind of want to close with this because at the, at the foot of the cross, how many of you know we're on even ground? right? Uh, there's not one of us that gets into God because you did better than somebody else. Oh, you gave more in the offering. You served more. You did this. You had a... Uh, no, the scripture says all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And I know sometimes we're like, well, you know, it doesn't count a little bit. Did I get a little bit of props, Lord? No, our righteousness is as filthy rags. We get in 100% because of God's mercy. And I love that in view, in view of God's mercy. Uh, let me take you back all the way back when I went into the military. They teach you how to shoot. Some of you guys know that. And, and one of the first things that they teach you is that they want you to shoot with the right eye, with your right dominant. It may not be your right eye. How many of you know you got a dominant eye? Let me just say it like that. You got a dominant eye. You got a non-dominant eye. And uh, can, I, can I give you guys how to figure out what your dominant eye is? Uh, if you hold your hands up and make a little triangle and you focus somebody, so I got Kerry, he was in my first one also, so I'm putting him in it again. Look through it with both eyes. You have an object there. If you close one eye, he'll still be in the middle. If you close the other eye, then all of a sudden he moves out. And that's how you determine what your dominant eye and your non-dominant eye is. Why would I share that? Is because sometimes we don't view things in God's mercy. We look at other people with our non-dominant eye. Now everybody's figuring that out, right? <laughs> we look at people with our non-dominant eye, and guess what? The mercy of God goes out the window. 
Sometimes we look at ourselves uh, not with our non-dominant eye in view of God's mercy, and all of a sudden we look at our circumstances or we look at the messes that we've made, and we allow the enemy to bring condemnation into our life. But it says, in view of God's mercy, what I want to tell you is to keep your dominant eye on the mercy of God. And guess what? You're going to stay right in the middle. God's been so merciful to me. If I can fix my eyes on, on, on him, then guess what? I can fix my eyes on you and you and you and those people that have done me wrong. And I can still show the mercy of God because I'm not looking with the wrong eye. That's what we need to focus on. So as we uh, get ready to close, I hope, did everybody get a communion cup? I know it's not the first Sunday of the month, but we're going to do communion today. I just felt like it was important to, uh, uh, to close this series out about one another. Because communion is not just a religious thing that we do. Oh yeah, we got to go take communion, eat the cracker, drink the juice, and, uh, and move on. It really is a sharing of the table. If you look back in Acts where it says they met in homes... And they shared the Lord's Supper. How many of you know you don't just have to take the Lord's Supper here at church? All right? You can be at home. You can do, you know, if you're one of your small groups, it's like, hey, listen, we're going to take communion. Because what you're doing is partaking of the body and the blood of Christ. It's not the actual. I know different churches teach different things. But it represents the very thing that draws us and holds us together. Because let me tell you... We come from so many different backgrounds. How many of you know there are people in this church that if it wasn't for Christ, you'd probably never come in contact with? Right? But in view of God's mercy, he brings all of us together as brothers and sisters. And listen, my challenge for us, uh, uh, grow in that. If you've not gotten involved in a small group, friends, please find something. We have, like men, if you're available on Thursday, or Friday morning, come to that. We have Thursday night prayer, and Pastor Colleen mentioned, I would encourage you, even if you don't come that normally, come this Thursday because we do want to lift up these missionaries. But that's an opportunity to come together. That really is a small group. We come together, those on Thursday night, and we, we share uh, our own personal things. We pray for one another. Uh, we have some fellowship, and then we have some prayer. One of the, you know, I think Saturday or Tuesdays, for the first and third Tuesday, Bob and Marilyn meet right here uh, at the church at 10 o'clock, and we've just started all of these. We're gonna, I want to see six or seven small groups eventually started. Find one to get involved in. Begin. You're going to only do it on purpose, right? I want to encourage you to take this off. Normally I pray or I've had a couple other people. I did this through first service. I'm going to do it again now. I'm going to ask somebody that would uh, volunteer to pray over the bread. It doesn't have to be me, right? So James, would you come up here so those online can see you too. We thank you, God, for that peace that surpasses all understanding. We thank you, Father, for your powerful Holy Spirit yeah. that comes to dwell in us. We thank you for that deep, deep shalom that you have and that you touch our hearts with every day. We thank you for our children that we can look at and say, thank God. I thank you, Lord, for my kids. I thank you, Lord, for my home. I thank you, Lord, for my, my life, even though it might not seem good right now, but there are so many things that are going on in my life that I can be thankful to my Father on high. Yes. Open up that throne room, O oh Lord. Pour yourself into us today 
and the memories of all the good things that you've done for us and help us to reflect on that by looking at the cross. Father, we thank you, God, today for your body that was broken for us, yeah. literally broken for us. And we'll do this remembering your side being pierced on that cross yeah. for us, for everybody in here. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's take the bread together. I'm going to invite someone else to come up and pray over the, the juice that represents the blood of Christ. Is there... All right. Dear Lord, we just thank you for the blood that covers all yeah. our sins. You said our sin may be as red as scarlet. You make us white as snow. Yeah. Lord, you know I need you. I need you to cover me daily. Wash me in your Holy Spirit. And thank I thank you, you for that, Jesus. You resurrected back from death to life so that I could be resurrected, so that all of us could be resurrected in you. We appreciate that, Lord. We just want to remember how we wouldn't be here without you, that we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it. But Lord, you gave your blood anyway so that we could be forgiven from all our sins, past, present, and yeah. future. Yeah. They are separated as far as the east is from the west, yes, Lord. Lord. So, Lord, we just thank you. Let's remember what you did for us, how you took so much, and all you gave back was life. And how much is that a gift from you, Lord Jesus? Thank you. Thank you. Let's, let's take this together. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you that we are family. Lord, help us to begin to function more and more like your family. And, uh, Lord, we just pray your blessing over each one here today. Lord, again, those that weren't able to make it, those that are watching online, Lord God, uh, you love each one of them. We love each one of them. Lord, help us to begin to, to manifest that more and more. And we just commit this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen.